Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Future of BizTech. I'm your host, JC Granger. I have with me here Tobias Kunse, who is the co-founder, actually, and CEO of Glassnostic. Tobias, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what is it that your company does? Absolutely. Happy to do the. Thanks for having me on the show. So I'm a platform as a service guy. Previous company, I was a tech co-founder of a platform as a service product that was acquired by Red Hat, became OpenShift. So spend a lot of time thinking from a technical perspective and from a product perspective, obviously. How do you optimally support the building of applications? Mm-hmm. Right. And then by running OpenShift or like watching how OpenShift ran or you know publicly in the cloud, in the public cloud, also realizing that the building of the applications is not really the difficult piece anymore. Where the rubber really hits the road is like once the code is running, like how do you manage that? So the operational side, and more specifically, what's called the day two operations. Mm-hmm. So that's what we focus on here at Glasnastic, where we look at what happens after you deploy the code and before you deal with incidents, right? Mm-hmm. In that window of time, there's very little we can do, right? There's really once something goes wrong, the only thing we can do is roll back, maybe reboot machines, that kind of stuff. And it's actually really surprising how much manual labor there is. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of monitoring going on and a lot of like looking at data, deep data, root cause analysis takes hours, days. And then there's the incident management piece of it where you need to get all the teams together. You need to decide what are you going to do, right? Meanwhile, your customer experience is just nose diving. So we kind of automate a lot, you know, big part of that. We say like, don't even go too deep on the monitoring side. Just look at how the systems behave, then manage it as it's happening. And then you can still decide what, how much of a manual process you want to attach to the backside of this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the situation is under control. So our value prop is really don't sweat the ops, the day two ops piece too much. You got runtime control now. We give our operations teams, the DevOps, the DevSecOps teams, runtime, real-time control over what's happening at a very high level. Oh, that's great. So then tell the audience a little bit about what types of clients do you have? Are these enterprise Fortune 500s? Are these you know, uh, small business owners who are maybe developing apps or SaaSes of their own? You know, Who's really your optimal client? Who do you really make an impact for? Who even is interested in, in what you have? Yeah, so really important question, right? We thrive on complexity. Our product, our you know, company is in the business of reducing operational complexity massively. I like that one liner. So if you come come along and you have one application, it's kind of like you build a you know single family house. You kind of built this like you always built this 100 years ago. It's a stick frame. It's something, you know, you, you just put some things on it. That problem is solved. There's not a lot of complexity. There's scheduling complexity, but there's not a lot of building complexity. What we come in is when you have something large industrial, you have a shop floor, you have an airport, you have these kind of things that are very complex, a lot of processes like stepping on each other's feet. And there you need the supervisory function that we essentially a management layer on those operations. Got it. Think of us, if you build something small, you're flying a single engine plane. If the weather's nice, you don't need air traffic control. If there's a small airport somewhere in Nevada and there's 10 planes a day, you just look out the window, right? And you land the plane. If you have hundreds of planes in the airspace, 
you need air traffic control because mm -hmm. everything is unpredictable. Right? You need to make sure the space itself remains stable. So that's what we bring. I, to I like team. that analogy, your air traffic control for complicated business setups and systems, you know, so that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. What's an example of like one of the clients that you have or an example of a type of maybe a brand name that the audience would recognize? You're like, hey, we, mm -hmm. you know, here's an example of a client that could be ours or if one that you can say is yours. Yeah, so clearly there's a lot of clients we can't name, but we play with Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, Global 2000, these kind of enterprises, right? Complex infrastructures, generations of systems, tons of integrations, right? If everything is siloed away, you have maybe 10,000 applications, but they're all kind of like running like a small Python app or a Java app on a platform. Not really that interesting. Are these like, but like telecom or healthcare, like what industries <clears throat> to be more complicated than others that you guys could help? It's pretty horizontal. So we are not glued to one vertical or another. If it would call out a couple of segments, I would say managed service providers are a big segment for us. Mm -hmm simply because you're running other people's workloads, right? The code is not yours. So you need to protect yourself against whatever these applications are doing. Mm -hmm. And besides how you run these is actually already pretty complicated, followed by financial services. But then a lot of like, you know, automotive, retail, you know, there needs to be a sizable amount of operations in mm -hmm. order for us to be, you know, really shine to bring value what, what about any like government or, or military applications with that? I mean, you know, that there's so many moving parts in government agencies that do you guys try to get any government contracts or do you mostly stick to the private sector? We have inbound interest from that. And that's kind of about what I can say. Okay. Um, so right. <laughs> I, get, I reach um, you loud and inbound. clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then, you know, other than the inbound, I mean, you talk about inbound. So that kind of triggers me as a marketing guy, you know, mm -hmm. inbound, outbound, marketing, whatnot. Other than things like this, like, for example, being on my podcast, but what is your company doing marketing wise to get the word out about what you do? I mean, how do you guys reach out to other companies to just so they even know you exist to provide this service? Yeah, we're a small company. We're still at the beginning. We have our hands pretty full just by word of mouth from operations professionals. Frankly, we don't do a whole lot. I like to blog. So on our blog, there's a lot of like deep articles on how do you, you know, operate something that is essentially too big for any single person to comprehend. And those get good inbound interest. You know, I like, to, I like being on podcasts, these kind of yeah. things, <laughs> but we don't really do a full-blown sales motion today, right? It's just, there's so much coming word of mouth at the moment. That's a great um, spot to be in. I mean, it sounds like you're trying to yeah. keep up with the work. So that's good. How do you prioritize new features and releases in your software? I'm sure there's a lot of ideas that you have. There's a lot of suggestions, I'm sure that have yeah. come in. How do you guys prioritize what gets made next and released? Yeah, that's a very important question because there's way more demand than what we can do at this point, right? Of course, we're growing. We're trying to hire pretty aggressively. But also it takes time to ramp up people to what are we doing? How does the code work? How does everything? Um, uh, it's technically very complicated, right? We are not a single technology company. We can inject ourselves in many different ways. So the prioritization, the backlog of, lock of features is something, it's a daily struggle. We try to unify as much as we can. Thankfully, because we're still early in our journey and a lot of our customers are still early in, you know, in their journey, there's quite a bit of understanding and you know compassion from our customer side that 
not everything can be done this month. Right? Sure, yeah. We keep them all well in the loop of what the plans are, right? For instance, huge push into machine learning. Obviously, you know, we capture a lot of data. We want to make sure we don't have to browse them you know, yeah. manually. But we keep these customers close and there's a little bit of a customer advisory board going on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you struggling to generate warm leads fast for your B2B tech company? Do you wish you could hand off the entire process to a team of professionals and have leads flowing in daily to fill your pipeline, convert to big ROI sales? Well, at Infinity Marketing Group, that is exactly what we do. We are lead generation masters who specialize in the B2B tech industry. So whether you're in hardware, software, or even tech services, we here at Infinity Marketing Group can turn your company into a lead generation machine. So for more information, visit our website at www.infinitymgroup.com, email us at info at infinitymgroup.com, or give us a call at 303-834-7344. We look forward to helping you realize your revenue goals. So personal question now, side, mm -hmm. side note here. Uh, I ask this sometimes to guess. When you were a kid, what did you, like, what did you want to be when you grew up, so to speak? And then was it this or if not, you know, how did it, what, where would that life path take you? You know, like, well, I'm always curious, like, you know, what, uh, what people wanted to be and then how they got to where they're at, you know? Yeah, it's really funny because I wanted to be a musician. Well, um, I see a big piano right behind you. So I feel like you did something there. <laughs> It's a grand yes. piano for, for, for people who are only listening and can't see. He's got this marvelous grand piano in the background. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that's what I do today. That's kind of like winner of time. But yeah, I studied music. I studied composition and conducting. And from there, straight line into computer science, I started doing digital sound synthesis that was required a lot of programming. So that's how I got started in computers. And then between composing and programming, it's really kind of the same thing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Very creative act, right? I mean, you need to think a lot. You need to, you can, you know, come up with solutions. So from there, just did a little bit, you know, a couple of industry stints and then startups ever since, more or less. Right? Well, that's really cool. See, that's a nice, smooth path, <laughs> right? From uh, To me, it's a straight line. Absolutely yeah. straight line. Everybody thinks, yeah. what is this, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's actually pretty rare that they're uh, so, yeah. so, no. so easy there. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, being, you know, the title of the podcast, the future of mm -hmm. biz tech, let me ask you a question first about the industry that you're in, right? With cloud computing and, and there's, and there's AI and, you know, and of course, like what you guys do, which as far as, you know, you know, taking complex systems and organizing them and whatnot virtually, where do you see your industry, like you and the competitors around you, basically, yeah. where do you see the industry going in that next five to 10 years? Is there any, you know, milestone moments that you think are coming down the line based on other technology that's out there that might integrate, you know, just if you had to predict the future, you know, magic eight yeah. ball here, yeah. where, where do you see it? Yeah, I think I have a pretty unique view, I think, of where it's heading, not in each component, but I think the conclusions. My experience is that, for instance, development is getting easier by the day. It's developing you know, functionality. A, the functionality is becoming smaller and smaller. You're developing small and narrow domain bounded context uh, services. It's a couple thousand lines of code. Maybe, maybe it's a couple of 10,000 lines of code. It's still not big. You're not building multi-million lines of code, right? And 
but you're building many of these. So now we are in a world where we can actually develop very quickly and the developer experience in most technologies, extremely good. But now we're running way more pieces in way more places. It's not just on-premises, it's not just cloud, it's hybrid, it's multi-cloud, it's edge locations, right? And what happens is not just more pieces and more places and more diverse technology stacks that kind of compose together, interplay. We also connect these systems more because we reuse exists. So part of the fallout from writing small services is that I'm going to combine these with existing capabilities mm -hmm. that I have, right? Because I'm becomes a Frankenstein model in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's in any organization, how do you assemble teams? You pull a couple of good guy, people from other teams and say, hey, we have a task force here. Please, can you do this? Right? Yeah. It's a new application. And that's kind of the model that's much more taking hold in the industry. Started a little bit with microservices, right? But if microservices, most engineers still think of microservices as a blueprinted, finished design application kind of like your stick built house, right? You have a, the floor plan and yeah, a couple of you know variations, but it's the same house. It doesn't really change, but we're getting, because the pressure from the business is so big, it's so large to accelerate that now we are splitting up development and parallel teams that are all pretty autonomous. They can release on their own schedule. They mm. can just push code into production. And now that code interplays with all the other code that's there, right? So you get into a very like, pretty massive multi-body physics problem. And there's two important aspects to it. Number one is how does your transaction execute through all these systems? Right? Is there any bug? Is there anything that's taking too long? Is there anything on the path of execution that's not right or should be different? That's one big chunk of problems, but I think largely solved with existing tooling. There's a lot of observability, there's monitoring, there's you know all kinds of simulation toolings out there. On the other side, you have these kind of environmental behaviors because something else gets deployed. All of a sudden, this dependency is a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, something happens, you don't know what hit you, and it's, oh, some limit has been reached. There's a connection pool that ran out of space, right? A message queue that's full, right? Or, you know, something takes too long, so another automation hits in. So we, we live in an extremely autom automation-rich environment today, and none of these automations are designed to work together. There's a lot of impedance mismatch, right? So that's where we come in. We are not looking at the execution of code actually at all, right? That's the pilot's problem. How do I land this plane? How do I get it to the direction or to the destination? We are looking at what is happening in the airspace. And no matter how well you plan and how much you automate here, unpredictably reigns. There's a lot of unknown unknowns. And the key is to detect these quickly enough and react to them immediately. And reaction does not mean trying to hunt down a root cause. Mm -hmm. That takes hours and days sometimes, right? If there is a root cause at all, and it's not just a confluence of factors, but stabilize the situation, stop the bleeding first, right? Create predictability, and then maybe, yes, maybe start an incident management process, right? So that's kind of the story of what we do, but that's my prediction. Obviously, my company, is that's my prediction for the future of the industry. We're going to run more and more things in more places, and it's very clear there's a natural limit how much we can engineer here. Yeah, no, for sure. And now let's talk about your company specifically then. What kind of new 
features or services do you have coming out soon that the audience could kind of look forward to when they finally hear the podcast? There are quite a few directions we're going. Uh, we're going to take this. And one piece I mentioned earlier is a lot of like machine learning. Uh, we want to dis- detect more patterns. Not every pattern becomes actionable, but we want to know and flag those patterns. Mm-hmm. The other direction is, of course, in increasing automation. And automation doesn't have to be necessarily a full-on closed-loop system where you just let the machine do whatever it thinks is right. It can be a time-delayed automation, so you can think about it, you can observe, if you, you can do something. Often the human brain is much smarter than any machine, right? particularly when it comes to operations, because you have more context. Mm. You know, oh, I know the team wrote that service, so I don't think that's happening. They've been doing something else, right? The machine doesn't know that, but there's like automation pieces. We can make it much easier to manage these large exploding infrastructures. Very cool. Last question I have for you is this. With all your experience and wisdom from before your company, doing your company, what's the best piece of advice either you've been given or that you can give from your own experience to the audience? I feel it's been given to me. I don't know from where, but I think when I did composition, when I studied musical composition, one thing I learned is that we underestimate the amount of novelty we can create and that creating something really changes the world. So I feel a lot of my peers are much closer trying to look at competition, look at what the market's doing and try to be very, you know, you always keep the you know enemies closer. <laughs> yeah. And I think that puts you in a very reactive mode and you lose the big picture. Mm-hmm. There is by putting like, you know, in the board game go, you put a stone on the on the board. Mm-hmm. That stone has meaning. Right. Whether you you put it on as a reaction to something else or you just make a statement, I think we underestimate how many st- how, how much we can make statements by, to make this a little bit more concrete, by putting something, by releasing a product that maybe even just solves 50% of a customer's need, mm. you're already putting a stake in the ground. You're creating reality, right? And that's something that I wish we would see more in the industry. Of. I like that. That's really cool. You know, it, and, and to further your point, when you're talking about like people react to competition, um, I always tell people, I say, I don't have a review mirror. I have no idea who my competition Mm. is because I don't care, to be honest, because if Mm. I'm reacting to them, that means I'm a step behind them. I prefer that they, I prefer that they react to me, right? Like we're trying to beat ourselves. So, you know, we're always trying to improve in our own processes, our, our own, you know, sales or, or systems and, you know, services and everything. And as long as we're doing that, we're looking forward and we, we're not looking backward. And and a lot of the times too, if you look at competition, there's this tendency to think, that, oh, they're big and they're, and they're bad, so they must be doing it right. And they might not be. Mm. You might be reacting yeah, and, yeah. and trying to copy literally the wrong thing <laughs> just because yeah. there's a perception that they're doing great when in the reality, maybe they're falling apart completely on the back end, you know? So uh, no, I, I like that. I like that advice. That's good. Mm. So again, thank you for coming on the show. How can people reach uh, the company and how can they reach maybe you personally if they want to reach out for some sort of partnerships or anything like that? Very simple. The company webpage is glasnostic.com. That's G-L-A-S-N-O-S-T-I-C. It's like glasnost and perestroika, right? It's transparency. And my email is tobias at glasnostic.com. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. And and 
I'm sure that uh, that Mina will be talking soon again as well. So thank you for coming on the show and for uh, imparting a lot of your wisdom and the best of luck to Glass Gnostic. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Future of BizTech. I hope you got great value out of our discussion today. If so, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate it five stars. This helps the podcast jump in the ratings to help other techies like you and I find it too. And remember, if you own or work for a B2B tech company and you're looking for highly targeted, hot leads delivered to your inbox daily, my agency, Infinity Marketing Group, can help. We've been in business since 2010 and have helped hundreds of companies just like yours make millions of dollars in marketing and lead gen ROI. So be sure to visit our website at www.infinitym, as in marketing, group.com. That's infinitymgroup.com. Or you can email us at info at infinitymgroup.com. Or you can call us at 303-834-7344. We look forward to talking with you. And I look forward to you listening to my next episode of Future of BizTech.